Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jansen. My guest today is Lindsay McGregor. She is a former McKinsey consultant and co-author of a book we're going to talk about today, Primed to Perform, How to Build the Highest Performing Cultures Through the Science of Total Motivation. So, Lindsay, thanks for joining me. Thank you, John, so much for having me. So one of the first questions I want to ask, uh, because um, I noted that your, co- your co-author is also your spouse. Um, so I, I want to know, you know, what's the culture of writing a book with your spouse look like? Well, you know, it's very dangerous to have a spouse who's an expert in what motivates people. <laughs> it creates for some master manipulation. Um, but it actually works out really well for us. We both have common interests and common passions, and we have the same values. And there's actually been a lot of research into what makes the happiest marriages. And it finds that people who have a common interest, a sense of play together, and this common purpose are actually better at solving problems together. And so it worked out for us. Yeah, and I won't go too far down my marriage counseling path here, but uh, you know, I've always thought that the people that were able to, because it's inevitable, you're going to change, you're going to grow, hopefully, you're going to evolve as human beings. And so if you can't do that together, I, I think that's probably the source in a lot of cases of unhappy marriages. Absolutely. So I don't know where that came from. I just felt like sharing that today. But uh, um, let's talk about motivation, you know, at the heart of, of really this entire book. And in fact, you, you are coining a term, um, total motivation, I think, as it apply, applies to culture. So let's, let's maybe set the bar for what total motivation is and, and uh, obviously then why, they, why you think that's at the heart of, uh, of a performing culture, high-performing culture. Yeah, absolutely. So total motivation examines a very simple truth that I think many of your listeners intuitively know, which is that why people work determines how well they work. The why determines how well. And there's actually six reasons why people work, and three of them tend to lead to higher levels of performance, and three of them lead to worse levels of performance. But most people don't know about these six motives, and so they end up using the the ones that don't work or none at all. So, so I'm, guess, I'm guessing you're going to tell me that uh, pay is not the top of the list. Well, pay it can be good or it can be bad. It all depends on whether it changes the way or your reason for coming to work every day. So the most powerful reason for working is what we call play. And this is when you work because you enjoy the work itself. So you work because it's a hobby for you. It's why I enjoy writing or why my co-author, Neil, enjoys woodworking. It's just fun to do. And so whether we get paid for that or not, the reason we do those activities is simply because we love them. Yeah, it's funny. You just let me off the hook because a lot of times people will ask me, you know, they're trying to strike up a conversation and they'll say, well, so what do you do? In your spare time, what do you do as a hobby? And and I'm sometimes I'm pressed to answer that, and because I don't think it'd be very satisfying for me to say, "Well, I love my work. That's what I do for play." Um, but I think you're saying that that maybe I ought to maybe I ought to value that more. Yeah, absolutely. If you think about, for example, um, a Boy Scout, there's a Boy Scout that does something for the reward. Let's say he's trying to get the chess badge. That's right. the reward for learning chess versus a Boy Scout who learns chess simply because he's interested in it. Those two boys are going to behave very differently when they're learning chess. The one who just enjoys it is going to take the time to actually experiment, learn. He'll probably spend far more time on the activity. And if those two boys played against each other, the one that was doing it because he enjoyed it 
would probably end up beating the other one. So why we work really changes how we approach our work and it changes the outcomes. Could you make a case, though, that, that people are just wired that way? I mean, I, I've had uh, staff members over the years that, you know, really enjoyed marketing, but they also, if they didn't understand something, they just went out and figured it out or found the answer. And then I've had others that seemed to really enjoy what they were doing as well, but they were totally dependent on somebody else giving them the answers to, to advance. Yeah, we've, we've looked at what how does performance come from who you intuitively are, who you, what your personality is versus what comes from the environment around you. And it tends to be that about 20% comes from your personality and 80% comes from the environment, which is a very different ratio than what most people expect. When we talk with business leaders, they tell us that their number one problem is recruiting. They just don't have the right people. But if you actually look at the culture that they've built, you find that there's far more impact in what happens once somebody walks in the door than which person is coming in the door in the first place. Yeah, that's interesting because I'm, I'm sure your research would find that, that people who nailed getting the right people, people who, you know, who really knew how to find the right people, actually kind of turned them into the wrong people <laughs> um, in some ways by what was going on you know, all around them you know, week after week, month after month. So I want to ask you, because I know that, um, given your background and and also what I've seen in the book, I I wonder if you could describe a little bit of your research. I think sometimes people, you know, particularly when us consultants come up with, you know, new new buzzwords and and come up with six attributes for X, Y, Z, then, um, you know, hopefully some of that's based in some research. And I know you did some pretty exhaustive research, so I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So... In our work as consultants, we visited hundreds of different companies, and we heard again and again and again from business leaders that their culture just wasn't what they had hoped it would be. They weren't being creative. They weren't being innovative. And when they asked us for what was the best out there on culture, the best we could come up with was top 10 lists, the top 10 reasons CEO X believes the culture is important, Mm -hmm. or the top 10 things that that CEO thinks you should do. But you couldn't bring a top 10 list to a boardroom. It didn't make the case for why you should invest in culture and what impact that would make. And so we began to test different theories of culture, dozens of theories, by surveying 20,000 people around the world and people at over 50 major companies. And that's where we came to this conclusion that why you work determines how well you work. This is built on research that was actually developed first in the 1980s by two professors at the University of Rochester, Edward D.C. and Richard Ryan, and we built on that. And they came up with these six reasons why people work. So the first that we mentioned earlier is play, and this is when you do something just because you love the work. The second was purpose, and this is when you do something because you believe in the impact of your work. So, for example, my grandmother was a nurse. She didn't always find play, but she did believe in the impact of her job. She found purpose. And the third motive is what we call potential. And this is when you do something for an indirect outcome of the work. So, for example, if you imagine a paralegal, they may or may not find play in filing briefs. They may not find purpose in the clients they work with. But they're doing this job as a stepping stone. One day they want to become a lawyer. That's the paralegal with the potential motive. So play, purpose, and potential are what we call the direct motives because they're all in some way directly connected to the work itself. And those three tend to improve performance. But the next three tend to hurt performance. 
The first is emotional pressure. And this is when you're doing something to avoid feeling guilt or shame. It's why I played the piano growing up. My mother used lots of emotional pressure. Economic pressure is when you're doing something to gain a reward or avoid a punishment. This is like that Boy Scout who's playing chess just for the badge or the employee who's showing up just for the paycheck. And finally, is inertia. And this is when you have no idea why you're doing what you're doing. You're showing up today simply because you showed up yesterday. Emotional pressure and economic pressure and inertia are the indirect motives because they're no longer connected to the work itself. And so they tend to destroy performance. So would you say in your experience, in your research, that um, knowingly or unknowingly, that companies tend to actually create cultures with the negative three more often than the positive three? It's very, very common. Most organizations use economic pressure. They think that rewards and punishments are the way to drive somebody's behavior. But some organizations know that the negative motives aren't good, but very few realize they have to do use play, purpose, and potential to actually reach the highest levels. A lot of organizations are stuck in neutral, using none of these motives. But when you look at companies like Starbucks or Google or Apple, the companies that are really esteemed for their cultures, they're actually finding ways to build play and purpose and potential into the work itself. Well, and I'd love to hear about that because I think a lot of times people uh, default to, oh, play, that means an espresso machine in a foosball table. Um, but I think the way I hear you describe it, it's actually more of a mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And we're not talking about the foosball table at all. We're talking about how do you create play in the work itself? So, for example, um, Toyota creates play for its assembly line workers. It encourages the people working on the line to come up with new ideas for how to improve their work. And then they've got a team that's responsible for bringing those new ideas for life, to life. So if you came up with an idea for a new tool, that team would go create it for you so you could test it. That's play in the work. It's when you have curiosity, you're testing new things, you're learning new things, you're experimenting. And the more you can create play in the work itself, the higher performer in your team is going to be. So one of the things that I'd love to hear, and I know that you're making this point, and ultimately this is, I think, the point you're going to get around to, is that, you know, is there a connection between this, this prime to perform and, and revenue and profit? Absolutely. Academics have studied these six motives in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of experiments. And we've tested them in our own work with companies. And we found that it's got a quantitative um, link to bottom line performance. So, for example, when we add up play, purpose, and potential and subtract the indirect motives, we get this concept called total motivation. And so when you measure the total motivation of a person and then connect it to performance, you see real differences. In one retail organization we worked with, for example, People with high total motivation had 30% more sales than people with low total motivation. We measured the total motivation of investment professionals, people who actually pick and choose stocks. And we found that those with high total motivation were making much more money than those that didn't. Um, academics have found the same thing, analyzing call center agents, for example. So it not only leads to bottom line performance in sales, but also things like customer service, creativity, problem solving, 
all of these things that people list when they say they want a really high-performing team. So I speak to a lot of groups, and, and no matter how many things I tell them, there's always there's always someone in the crowd that says, yeah, yeah, that's all great, but we're different. You know, we're in a really boring industry. There is no real sense of purpose around what we do. You know, you can't build play. A call center is a great, great description. You know, maybe you can't uh, build play into it. So, you know, what do you say to that, um, you know, inevitable doubter that says, this is all great for Starbucks, but, you know, we're in XYZ industry and it won't work? Yeah, you know, we've tested this in some places where I would have expected it to be really difficult to find play. So a call center for a bank, for example, or um, a retail store, which is a really down and out retail store where there aren't a lot of customers, there's not a lot of purpose. But when you talk to people about what brings them play, you find that they people find play in all sorts of places. It might be how they interact with a customer building a really truly authentic connection with each person that works in the door, walks in the door, or finding play in how the operations of the store works. It's, we find play in fast food restaurants, call centers, retail stores, all of these organizations that people are skeptical about. If you look hard enough, you can usually find it. So if I'm buying into this then and I'm thinking, well, I don't know where I am or I feel like, you know, I'm read, I've read halfway through the book and I'm in that neutral category or something, you know, how do you suggest people go about um, getting started? I mean, is there, is there a process? Is there a tool set? Are there, there some metrics? I mean, how do, how do we get started with this if we've never really done this intentionally? Yeah, absolutely. What I recommend that leaders start with is a once a week huddle in which they ask everybody to talk about their play and purpose for that week. So for example, our team sits down every Friday and each person talks about what they learned that week, which is play. Play is the learning. So they talk about what they learned that week and they teach that to everybody else. Then they talk about what impact they had that week, which is their purpose. And finally, they talk about what they want to learn next week. And this very simple exercise makes it okay to learn and actually encourages people to play and experiment and innovate. When we find that somebody doesn't have anything to report, they haven't learned anything this week, or they can't come up with something that they want to learn next week, that's a real red flag for us, that we probably haven't given them the type of work that will encourage play, and that we need to help them find the play in what they're doing. That's what I would do as a team leader. But if you have a big team, and it's hard to actually you can't be in every huddle with every person, then what we recommend is you actually measure the total motivation of your team. It's six very simple questions. Um, they're available both in our book and on our website, timetoperform.com. And you can measure the motives of your people through these six very simple questions and then start to spot patterns. So for example, we've spotted patterns like in one school, um, a lot of the teachers had purpose but had very little play. Or in one big company, we found that customer-facing associates had far lower motivation than people who didn't face the customer. So we knew there was a problem there because it was usually the reverse trend in most companies we measured. So beginning to measure, by beginning to measure what your company is doing, you can start to optimize it over time. Are there some things that that are necessary to have in place? Like when I hear people talk about, you know, the employees being really, you know, 
filled with a sense of purpose, you know, typically it's because the organization understands its purpose and its beliefs and it, and it leans on those, it hires on those, it, you know, it does a lot of things to make sure those people are in the seats. Um, is that a prerequisite to, to really building any healthy, any healthy culture or is it something that you can say, here's what we're going to do this week? An organization with a compelling purpose that is authentic is definitely going to have higher levels of performance over time than an organization that does not, with all else being equal. So I would recommend that you think about your purpose and connect it to the values of your team. Um, how, does, how does being at your company help somebody live up to the values and beliefs that they want to stand for? So... Have you worked with organizations, you started to allude to it, so I'm sure the answer is yes to this, but have you worked with organizations that have realized that the culture has gotten so bad that it is costing them, and so you know, now they're willing to invest because they know that maybe, maybe you know, it's over if they don't. Um, how do you turn the ship? Because you know, a, lot of, a lot of employees that have worked at bad organizations, they've, they've gotten a new manager who's come in with you know, the pop hit of the day and said, here's what we're going you know, to do to make this a fun place to work and only to find two weeks later that you know, they're back to normal. So you know, how do you overcome the skepticism that might be there in a, in a culture that's just been bad? Absolutely. So the two ways that we overcome that skepticism is the first by measuring the motives in the company. And when we can show an organization the data of what motivates their people and we can connect that data to the performance of their people, it's usually eye-opening. We get comments like, you just uncovered a new driver of performance that I had no idea existed in my company. So when you can see that for yourself, it's eye-opening. But the second thing that we do is we don't impose these policies or changes top down. We actually start by educating the people in an organization about the six motives. So we teach people, you know, what does it mean to be motivated in the right way? How does this connect to performance? And when you give people the tools to actually self-diagnose what's coming going on, they're actually able to design their own solutions. So, so really... Um, and, and it's so funny how it often comes down to this. I mean, measurements, in some ways, everything, or at least it's it's the starting point. It's the only way you know if you're making progress. And I think, particularly when it comes to culture, I think very few people think in terms of that being a tangible thing that you can measure. Yeah, absolutely. And because we could never measure it, we could never prove that it mattered or justify investment in it. You know, imagine if you managed your finances like you manage your culture you would send out a survey once every three years and say, how's our culture? How are our finances? Do you think we have enough money? And what do you think we should do about it? Right? We would never manage our finances like that. And yet, because we've never understood the science behind culture, we've had to go by that feeling rather than by quantitative evidence. I am speaking with Lindsay McGregor, author of Prime to Perform, How to Build the Highest Performing Cultures Through the Science of total motivation. Um, Lindsay, you mentioned prime2perform.com. Is there anything you want to talk about in terms of what people will find when they visit there? Absolutely. Thanks, John. The website has this survey where anybody can measure their own total motivation or send the survey to their team for free. It takes about five minutes. You can understand what motivates your team and come up with ideas for how you can improve. 
Awesome. Well, thanks. This is a, actually it's a great read. I mean, it, it's um, uh, the word science is in there for, for a reason. Uh, so if, if you're somebody who wants a little you know high level fluff, feel good. Uh, this is this book's a little deeper than that. Um, but I recommend that uh, that everyone pick this up to really um, understand. I think that 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 idea of you know at, regardless of the size of the business, uh, you know, I think I said this off the air when Lindsay and I were talking. I think every business has a culture. It's just whether or not it's it's driven intentionally. And I, and I think actually by being able to break it down to a couple elements that you're trying to measure and then come up with goals and objectives around those, I, th- I think that uh, it actually is something that can be digestible. So, Lindsay, thanks for joining me, and uh, hopefully we'll see you out there on the road somewhere. Thanks for having me, John.